You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Happy Wednesday, hey everyone. Hello listeners. Um, this recording is brought to you from a still very, very cold Toronto. God, I hate I hate the cold. <laughs> Today's podcast is with Martin Hauk, head of talent at CoinSquare. CoinSquare is a cryptocurrency company in Toronto, most commonly known for its cryptocurrency exchange, where you can buy and sell uh, cryptocurrencies like vis-a-vis Bitcoin. And but the company has been growing rapidly and adding more services, and so we look at the man who has helped it scale from being around 40 people to 100 plus now and as it scales to 200 plus in the near future when i first met martin he hooked me really when he told me he dropped out of high school in grade 10 and so i immediately thought okay tell me more tell me more i want to learn more and from there we started digging into his journey in our brief chat and i thought okay i gotta have you on the podcast and so that's what we do today Martin's journey begins with being just, I think, what I would consider to be misunderstood in high school. And he goes through learning business by actually operating a nuts and bolts business, not even the figure of speech where like, he actually sells widgets. Um, and he also ends up changing plans of not going to university to study broadcasting like he originally kind of intended. And then we also talk about how he broke into the tech industry while coming from the old industrial goods background and how he kind of started by slapping stickers on his laptop and going to tech events. And we also talk deeper into why he does what he does and what recruiting means for him and how he went about kind of discovering that what he does right now is actually what he was really meant to do. And this was really a fun and fascinating discussion by someone who I consider to be quite well learned and educated and it's really fun just hearing his kind of thought process and why he did certain things and I really do hope that you find the conversation as entertaining and also I guess like educational uh, as I did in terms of just seeing someone else's perspective and their journey and so before we go to the podcast you know the drill you like it five stars on iTunes and you like it even more Leave a review. That helps. And so, yeah, support the podcast. You want to learn more about myself, the podcast, and what I do, um, go to oldmandan.com, look it up. And, yeah, without further ado, here is my interview with Martin Hauk. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Accounted For. Today on the podcast, I have Martin Hauk from... CoinSquare. Martin is the Chief Talent Officer. Hey, Martin. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi. How's it going? Good. Good. I'm not Chief yet. Oh, sorry. Director? I'm, I'm, I'm Head of Talent. Head so of Talent. Director, whatever. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> it's, all, it's all the same. I feel like it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, and for the audience who are not familiar with the crypto world, could you explain what CoinSquare is and what the company does? For sure. So CoinSquare is Canada's leading digital currency and cryptocurrency platform. It's an exchange where I, as an individual, if I was interested in purchasing cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, Dash, Ripple, any of those currencies, I would be able to create an account, log on, fund my account with Canadian dollars from a bank, and then begin trading my Canadian dollars for respective cryptocurrencies like the ones I mentioned. Got it. And the timing might... The timing is quite timely in that I'm sure you've seen in the news about the founder, I think, of the exchange dying and the whole exchange losing a bunch of money because they didn't have passwords. Yeah, so yeah. Quadriga. That, that would happen, right? Yeah, Quadriga uh, is the exchange you're talking about there, yes, yes. which was sort of the first to Canadian market or one of the, one of the more popular ones uh, that existed exists theoretically and uh, yeah uh, there's there's a ton of controversy surrounding that exchange right now yeah 
but we don't. There's no same risk at all for CoinSquare, right? There's no founder with a master password. No, no, no. We've we've taken care of that a long time ago. Yeah, uh, and and hedged our risk against multiple people. So there's no one individual with the passwords, and we've got backup plans on top of backup plans. So yeah, it seemed quite contrary to how blockchain essentially is supposed to work it's decentralized <laughs> network and then you have one yeah, that's yeah. centralized it's all centralized in one person yeah <laughs> yeah um and something i noticed when i looked at your twitter profile is that you are a i don't know if it's a self-proclaimed but uh certified ad- avocado expert <laughs> how, how big of a fan are you of avocado uh well uh i'm if you're looking at opposites, I'm as much of a fan of avocados as much as I am a fan of people calling themselves visionaries or coming up with like really ridiculous <laughs> things. So that's sort of like my troll of, of folks that call themselves like, well, I mean, even in the crypto space, like everybody and their brother seems to be a, a cryptocurrency expert the second the crypto market exploded and they started putting that in their profiles and then you talk to them you're like oh so tell me more about this and they're and it's just a surface level sort of thing there's there's some a ton of great smart individuals out there um but typically they're not labeling themselves as as such and it's more underground and more low-key on their profiles yeah from yeah. a recruiter perspective i'm talking right right from the, the lens of somebody that's spending 99 percent of their day on linkedin and angel list and stuff like that yeah, I remember when crypto exploded. Um, I was, I think I was in the hedge fund world then, and mm. so all my friends would start <laughs> messaging me and say, "Hey, Dan, so you invest crypto? What do you think?" And yeah. then I tell them, "I have no idea. We don't touch that." And um, they go, "Okay, then what about marijuana?" I'm like, "We don't touch that either." <laughs> yeah, it's a crystal ball. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, uh, everything's lined up for long-term success, but you really can't tell what's going to be happening. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of want to take things back way into your past. Sure. Um, it what triggered Are you what triggered have sound it effects? was um, <laughs> no, no. Okay. Um, I'm, my audio tech technicals are not up there yet, <laughs> and um, I don't consider myself too much of a creative artist. Like gotcha. Others, but um, I wanted to ask you about um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Guelph. I was born in Toronto. Uh, born and raised in Toronto until I was five, so maybe not raised, and then we moved to Guelph. Uh, so I was in Guelph from from five to 18, basically. Okay. Yeah. And um, what did your parents do then in Guelph? Um, parents uh, have always been involved in either photography or uh, my mom on she's been focused on sort of medical imaging and, and working in the hospitals from the as a digital specialist, basically wow. the person that makes sure that doctors can do presentations and she's in the AV room essentially. So quite a visual upbringing. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. It, I've always joked that my, I'm the capitalist of my family because my, both my mom and dad are like avid photographers and my sister's an artist and I'm the only one that cares about the business news and, <laughs> and whatnot. And they're way further removed from that. So mm-hmm. And so then did you have that kind of business um, love like at an earlier age? Like, What, what did you want to be when you were, you know, 12, 13? <laughs> I wanted to be a talk show host when I was 12 and 13. Really? Yeah. Um, I always, I, I thought Dave Letterman was hilarious uh, at an early age. Um, so I always like stayed up late to watch him and didn't really like Jay Leno that much and Craig Kilborn and all those late night talk show hosts. Conan O'Brien, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So I don't know how I got to where I am today. <laughs> but this is the closest thing as far as like recruiting and inv- interviewing people. That's the closest thing to like late night talk show host without moving to New York or LA, I think. Um, where do you see the similarity? Why do you say that? Well, as a talk show host, you're interviewing people. You're learning about their lives. Uh, you're making a joke every once in a while. And... Uh, yeah, I feel like that's the same thing as interviewing people. You kind of learn a bit about them, see where they're coming from, help them make a few connections. Talk show hosts help, you know, celebrities plug their latest and greatest project or movie, and I connect the dots. Uh, so yeah, gotcha. And when we when we first met, I think um, you might have actually started off 
the full conversation with oh yeah so i dropped out of high school at grade 10 <laughs> and then yeah 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 i'm here now mm-hmm. um and so i think that's been that kind of caught my eye immediately and mm. it's been i think a good way to look at your kind of career journey where so you dropped out of high school in grade 10 and then you go into the full industrial goods mm-hmm. space and so you, from what i gather you've been selling nuts and bolts mm-hmm. for about 6 years and then you went into industrial goods recruiting for p- other people who can do that yeah and then you went to the tech foray went to yeah. wrangle.io stack adapt and now at coinsquare um so take me back to that moment of your, when you were in high school mm-hmm. how did you decide and what kind of made that apparent for you that you should leave it wasn't uh it wasn't i wasn't sitting in like the cafeteria drinking coffee or probably not coffee but like i wasn't drinking a pop and eating a piece of pizza in the cafeteria saying okay i'm going to drop out it wasn't like a single individual incident but there were a lot of small incidents that just made me realize that uh i wasn't built to succeed in high school not necessarily from like a learning standpoint just from like a focus standpoint when i'm doing something i want to be laser focused on that and i found the classroom setting really distracting in the sense that you know in grade 10 i had uh, people like sitting beside me in math class like rolling joints in their in their math textbooks and i was like sitting beside them and like my mind was blown i'm like we're in class and you're doing this stuff and i'm trying to learn how to do algebra and you're you're doing this um and because i would be sitting close to them i'd get in trouble for it and i was like this is this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh like that's one sort of memory that sort of stood out to me. Uh and then I think there was like a mix up where the guidance counselor actually uh brought me in and I feel like her paperwork was like mixed up and she was supposed to be talking to a student about skipping class and and heading out across the street and and smoking weed in the park. and I'd never done any of that stuff but she was sitting there accusing me and I was like no it's not me you've got the wrong person I don't even know why I'm here I've never been to the the guidance counselor like what's going on and that sort of like set off a bunch of events where like this is ridiculous nobody taking me seriously nobody's listening to me I'm being accused of things that like aren't things that I've done and uh that sort of made me start questioning a lot of the authority that was coming from school and just the outside world and society as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh so I stopped showing up to school and went on this like five month battle with my parents where it was just like every morning my mom would come downstairs and be like go to school and like she would argue and try to get me to go to school for like the first half hour to like hour and then she'd have to go to work so I'd win and then I would stay home. watch cartoons and do my own thing for 5 months until I got bored and then it got to the point where they're like, "Well, you need to get a job." So, it's either school or a job. And in between there I did about I I convinced my parents that I would be able to drop out of school if I did homeschooling. And there was a, the independent learning center at the time, so I did uh, a history course was my first course and it comes in four booklets. So it's like 25% of your class. uh gets mailed to you and then you fill out all the work, you read all the textbook and then you mail it back and they mark it. And I did my first book and I got 100% on it. I'm like, okay, I'm smart. I can absorb information when I'm in the right setting. That sort of gave me the confidence that I don't necessarily need to worry about school because I thought like I'm learning 100 different things here. I don't even know what I want to do yet. Why don't I just go get a job, get paid and learn the world on my own way? and I got a job. Gotcha. And so after that first uh history book that you just stopped doing anymore. I was like this is fine. Yeah, like yeah. you could give me a book on science or space or politics and if I have the information there, I know how to retrieve it and I know how to spit it out so that I remember or uh I was good at like writing, creative writing, spelling and grammar and all that fun stuff. Um so it uh it's that stuff seemed to come naturally to me. I was just like if I'm given information, why don't I learn the things that I want to learn versus sort of being served like all these things that you don't necessarily get to choose. And what kind of stuff were you drawn to? Oh, well, at that time I wasn't really 
mature enough to like focus in. I was drawn to computers a little bit. Uh, a friend of mine, his dad, uh, worked at IBM in Toronto and commuted back and forth between Guelph. And I was one of the first kids to get a computer. I was one of the first kids to get a CD burner. I had a little CD burning business where my dad's friends would give him lists of songs and I would download it from LimeWire and Kazaa and Napster. And then I would burn a CD for them. And then the next day I'd get like 10 bucks and the CDs were like a dollar a piece or something like that. So all I had to do is download music. Uh, but that was like with a 56K modem and it took like 20 minutes to download one song. Yeah, I remember those times too. <laughs> but I remember it, it was it was crazy when it happened though. I was like, wow, it's a plain CD and now I have yeah. music in it. I have movies in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember I used to label all my CDs with like, movie titles and keep them all in like a big case with other CDs as well. Um, and so you went into then selling nuts and bolts. Yeah. How'd that come about? Did you just try to find any job possible? Yeah, that was in any job possible situation. Yeah. So... Uh, the youth employment services or the yes program that Ontario sponsors was how I got my first job, uh, my first real full-time job with TSC stores. And that's just like home Depot for farmers. Basically they sell a lot of farming equipment as well as anything else you could get at home Depot. And they subsidized my wages for like six months. And that was a program that the government was doing because I was a dropout and uh, they ended up hiring me on full time. I worked there for three years and that was just because I needed to get a job and I needed to uh, need to show my parents I was doing something with my life at that time. And uh, I then moved to Toronto uh, with my girlfriend at the time. She was going to York U, Seneca, the camp, York U Seneca campus, and she was taking radio broadcasting. And uh, from there... Uh, I, I just went to a job fair, brought my resume. I was the only person that was wearing a suit and, uh, there was a company, there's a person at a company there who was at the job fair. I gave him my resume. He's like, well, you're the only person that's looked professional and actually dressed the part for today's event. So I'll call you next week. And I ended up getting a job with them. Yeah. Uh, and that was like my first, my first six years of, of like basically learning business how to run a small business under the umbrella of a large organization, basically. And that was Fastenal. That right? was Fastenal, yeah. I, I remember that caught my eye because um, I I love the company Fastenal. Like, I love the founders and mm. their story. So as an investor, um, it's actually one of the darlings where you read the whole story and it's just a yeah. fascinatingly family-run business that's just so well-managed. Yeah. Um, did you experience, did you feel any of that? Oh, yeah. Toronto? Like, uh, so... I started as a driver, um, but when you get into the management track, which is pretty early on, they basically take people straight out of school and put them into sort of like an accelerated branch manager program where uh, talented individuals get to fly to Minnesota. It's not exactly the, it's not Florida, it's not LA, it's not California or anything like that, but they fly you to their head office in, in Winona, Minnesota. And uh, they treat you uh, to like five weeks of, of training, treat you or provide you with five weeks of, of training. So I was there for five weeks learning literally everything to do with like profit and loss balance sheets, how to run a business, what the business strategy is, how, where they went from like, I think it was like 1976 when they started or 1967 and uh, all the way up to where they'd been at that point. And, you know, they had this like model where they used to sell to customers in a certain way. And then they created another methodology. And I learned so much there. And it was like a, a class of like 40 students. And from all over the States and Canada, I was like one of three Canadians in the class of like 40 people. So that was a really interesting experience. And I was like 20, 21 at that age. So, yeah. And did anyone, everyone else have like university degrees? And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, yeah. But I guess like, I, I feel like you probably got all the business education you might have needed just from that experience yeah, alone. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I was I was I started off as a delivery driver, and then from there they were going to close down one of their locations in North York. It wasn't performing well. They're like, 
yeah, the store's been doing $7,000, $6,000 in sales every month for the last like five or six months. Haven't been able to find a good manager. We're probably going to shut it down. Um, either you turn it around or take care of it until we're actually ready to shut it down. Um, and over the course of three years, we took that from like $7,000 a month to about $250,000 a month. Wow. Yeah. What was the uh, big strategic uh, <laughs> there was no str- There was no strategy. <laughs> Everything was just figuring out as you could go along. Um, it kind of boiled down to the people, uh, which is ironic, I guess, based on this conversation. <laughs> but like, it definitely mattered. Like the people that we hired or my district manager hired and that I hired um, helped shape that location and helped. We had some people that brought on some really big accounts that nobody had ever even knocked on in that area, which was really surprising. And uh, that ended up bringing in a lot of revenue for us and sort of turned things complete 180 for that location. So, Yeah, like when, you, when you were telling me about that, I, I had kind of like the scene from The Office kind of playing in my head. Like <laughs> maybe like a person like Dwight came in and started yeah. um, getting all the big accounts. Yeah. And so how does that, how did that transition now from practically operating a small business to mm-hmm. recruiting happen? Like, why not just go down more of like the business owner path? Yeah. So I, I left Fastenal to join uh, a small, like family run fasten, fastener business with someone that was at Fastenal previously. So he's a assistant manager that I worked for, for like five or six months and I was sort of uh, interested in like, hey, I want to run my own business. Why not do this myself? Well, and that's where I sort of jumped over. And then I learned that uh, it was more of a family-run business and the family will always come first. And I was sort of the outsider in that environment. Great company, great people. Um, and then I left to go to essentially Fastenal's competitor, HD Supply. And I was a buyer there. So I was buying the stuff that I was selling previously. So that was more of like a head office corporate environment where I had a cubicle and all I was doing was looking at spreadsheets all day long and I was figuring out where do I buy the next 100,000 widgets from. Um, like literally widgets. Literally widgets. Yeah. Literally widgets. Um, I love when people use that example. I'm like, oh. There's yeah. very different names for widgets. <laughs> it's a different purchase order. Let me teach you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so when I, while I was there, uh, a recruiting company called me up and said, hey, I've got an interesting question for you. And I was like, okay, it's, is it going to be the same question that you always ask? Do you want to go to like the other competitor in the space? Uh, and they're like, actually, no, It's we want you to join our firm and we want you to be a recruiter. We're like, oh, this is actually interesting. I, They explained it to be incredibly lucrative and uh, I was at a time in my life where that was really appealing and uh, I said why not and I took a took a jump for it and uh, ended up uh, with uh, with lock search group and I spent two and a half years with them uh, learning how to recruit and I had a mentor there who basically showed me the ropes of, of he'd been doing recruitment for like eight to ten years at the time and I, I basically learned everything he did and he showed me how he operated and how he kept himself organized and showed me the dynamics and the psychology behind it and uh, I learned a a ton of things uh, in in a very short period of time there uh, and then ended up deciding to start my own business yeah and during this whole time like when you mentioned how your girlfriend was studying broadcasting Mm. at York and given how you wanted to be a talk show host, <laughs> did, you, did you ever have inklings or just thoughts of, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go back to school, maybe I'll do broadcasting? Mm. Did that ever come up or was it just Yeah, no? Yeah, the plan originally when we moved to Toronto together, I think when we were like 18, 19, was that she would finish school and then we would swap. So I was working and she was going to school and then she would start working and then I would go to school and I would figure out what I wanted to do with my life because I felt like I was ready to go back. That never ended up happening. Uh, And and I did kind of think, hey, maybe I want to do radio broadcasting, but that never... I was so excited and engaged in like learning business and learning how to run a, a branch for a large corporation 
but it was super entrepreneurial. It literally felt like I owned the hardware store down the street. And that was, that captivated me, running and operating a business from head to toe and trying to make it profitable and calling customers and doing accounts receivable and managing inventory and doing deliveries and all that fun stuff. Like it was, it was just complete hands on deck and I loved it. So I wasn't really thinking very much of going back to school, to be honest with you. Yeah. And then you said how after learning the ropes and recruiting that you went mm. over to start your own business. Was mm-hmm. that then before going into Wrangle.io? Yeah. Yeah. So before I joined Wrangle, basically uh, a few of the folks that came before me at the firm started their own recruiting businesses. And the way the, the compensation structure there is set up, it's not like 100% commission. It's different, but it's essentially that. So if you don't get anyone a job, you're not essentially getting paid. Um, and from there, uh, I thought to myself, I could do this on my own. Why not? And uh, I, I had a few slow months at the firm and uh, we ended up parting ways. And uh, I sort of, I remember I was um, watching Jerry Maguire with my now wife, new girlfriend at the time. Uh, and I was like, just the entire movie. Mine is like the romance part of it, but the entire movie of like getting back to the base. It's because the firm I was with, um, there was always like a, a set of numbers and you needed to have a ton of clients on board and you needed to have a ton of candidates. And my whole mentality is like, why not focus in on one or two clients? And the movie's premise is like, just have one client that you give all your attention, all your love to, and that'll sort of spin out so my whole mentality was like i want to start my own recruiting firm and i want to have like one or two clients uh, as opposed to like 10 or 15 and i just want to close those roles and move on to the next one so that everything that i work on is complete i'm not leaving anything hanging and uh so i i started it like after that movie i was like yep i'm gonna do this (laughs) it was that was like a a, like that was a snap moment like i just like i paused the movie i'm like i know what i'm gonna do I'm going to start my business. She's like, okay. <laughs> In the mid-movie, she goes, oh, cool. Yeah, I think she fell asleep. Like, she falls asleep throughout, half through every movie. So, yeah. That, that's exactly like my girl. <laughs> <laughs> she fell asleep yesterday watching the Spider-Man movie. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I have those two where we'll watch something and I'll pause, pause Netflix and say, I just had an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, how, how did that feel, though, when you, you know, went off and then you kind of parted ways? Like, it mm. You know, you you were kind of this kind of rock star at Fastenal, mm. grew this huge business, and then you did recruiting, and I'm sure you did well there. And then you, you did well enough to go, all right, let's let's yeah. go and like do our own thing. Um, but how did you handle that? I don't know. Like, did you have any doubts like of your own capabilities or? Um, yeah, no, I had a ton of doubts. I mean, parting ways is a nice way of saying getting fired. I I got let go, mm. uh, and. That was really jarring for me. I remember at the time I was looking for, we were looking to buy a house, like seriously looking to buy uh, like a condo at the time. And uh, the day it happened, I remember talking to the person that ended up being the person that let me know that I was no longer going to be working there. Uh, We went downstairs for lunch together and I had a copy of uh, like a condo magazine where you're like looking through and he's like, oh, what's that? I'm like, oh, just thinking about buying a house, you know, like taking the big step. And then five hours later, it's like, peace, you, you don't have a job kind of deal. And, and that was strictly because the, the recruiting, the agency recruiting business is very um, intense in the sense that like you have two or three slow months where you don't place anybody and it's, it's out. And everybody knew that. Like uh, when I was hired, like five people started with me and after six months, I was one of one of two people still there. So um, it was a good high performance environment that really kind of was also similar to sort of fast and all like it was a high performance environment. So I've always thrived in sort of those environments where there's a ton of pressure to perform, to deliver. Um, but at the time when it happened, I was not petrified, but I was definitely scared, completely uncertain of, of anything and like ton of cons confidence shattered um 
but I also knew that the people that were there before me had done the exact same thing. So part of me was like, why not? Dropping out of school hasn't turned out to be as catastrophic as I had anticipated or as the movies have made it out to seem like or as like the the old wives tales where <laughs> you drop out of school, you're going to become a homeless junkie. That didn't happen. So um, I said, why not? And gave it a go. So I spent about a year and a half uh, working out of the Center for Social Innovation, which is sort of like uh, a socially conscious uh, co-working space in Toronto. It has three locations. And the energy there was fantastic. Like all these people doing all these incredible things. I was actually the odd person out because I was more of like still doing like overly capitalistic stuff and other people were like i'm helping save the world what are you doing I'm like oh, i was just a recruiter recruiting for the industrial space by myself um so it i wasn't i didn't necessarily belong there but the, the energy and the vibe of entrepreneurship at uh, the center for social innovation was incredible uh and it really got me excited i always wanted to get into tech yeah i always I was the first person to have like a blackberry uh, at Fastenal out of like the entire district and like three weeks later all the district manager was like I got one too and I'm like it's great right we can answer emails while we're driving it's terrible <laughs> uh, that was before texting and driving was a bad thing but like and yeah you BBM and BBM all that keyboard. fun stuff yeah um, so I was I'm an early adopter like I was always interested in tech uh, but never got to work in it and that's sort of how I got into to wrangle gotcha yeah. and I, I, I imagine that the Center for Social Innovation, like they have a, from what I know, they still have like a bunch of like tech companies part of that community yeah. as well. So was that your kind of step into like actually getting the confidence to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump now? No, um, the first thing, I think before I was going to meetups while while I was a recruiter, and I wanted to learn more about the tech space, so I was like went to meetup.com looked up tech I had no idea what I was doing so I show up in like a suit because my firm was like a suit and tie kind of place and I show up to this tech meetup and all these people are wearing hoodies and everybody's got stickers on their laptop and I didn't talk to anybody and people were drinking beer at three o'clock in the afternoon and I was just like what is this world because I came from like the power business suit space where it was just like right and uh it was just really jarring to me, but I remember going to this Product Hunt meetup. Uh, Product Hunt's an awesome website, and uh, uh, they had a TO chapter, basically, or Toronto chapter. So I went to it. Uh, I think it was at like the Highline Beta office on King, just around the corner here, their old one. And uh, I remember uh, Ben Yoskovich who was running uh, Virage Sale at the time, Michael Katchen, uh, who's the CEO of Well Simple now, uh, and someone else, I forget who, so that's probably terrible, but that was the first meetup uh, in Toronto. and That's a good, uh, good speaker. Yeah, and they were like, it was before any of them had blown up. Uh, what, and, what year was this around? <sighs> oh, no. 2011 2012 maybe i okay. think that like i still consider then the, that time to be it was before it got cool to mm-hmm. join tech yeah yeah like i remember because 2010 was when it was when i started university mm. and even then no, people were like oh yeah you know it's called rim back yeah. then blackberry was called rim and it was like people were like oh yeah that's a good company but you know i don't ever want to go to tech or silicon valley yeah, i don't know like facebook you really want to work for social media it wasn't that big and then Three, four years later, it's just huge. Everyone wants yeah. to get tech. But sorry, I, yeah, I interrupted no. you. No, no, no. Um, it's, uh, I think it was a little bit like it wasn't, I definitely wasn't an early adopter in the sense that like it had already been established. I think FreshBooks, you know, that's the darling of Toronto. Um, Achievers, my buddy was working at Achievers. He was telling me all these crazy stories of like what the tech world looks like. And, uh, so I was late to the party and I didn't feel like I was necessarily invited or didn't know how to get in. But I remember specifically when I was at my, when I had my own recruiting business and I was focusing almost exclusively on industrial clients, I started putting stickers on my laptop. I'm like, this is how I'm going to get in. I'm just going to look the part. 
so I started, I put a product hunt, you know, sticker on my laptop and I started following tech people on Twitter and I started learning the jargon and then, um, oh yeah, uh, Brianna from League, she's their VP of product now. Uh, she was at the, that uh, event as well and she was talking about uh, Waterfall and Agile and I had no, like, I'd never, like, why are these people talking about waterfalls? Like, <laughs> how does this have anything to do with tech? And she's like, waterfall methodology is da 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 And, like, agile is so much better, da 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 And, like, I just, like, I have no, I was so out of my element. It made no sense. Oh, it, it's so funny that you say that because, um, so, we're in the CoinSquare office. Mm, yeah. And as I told you before, in our first conversation, one of um Deloitte Consulting's big project was here, yeah. and this is where I learned waterfall and agile <laughs> methodology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's an, it's still like, well, I mean, waterfall's not necessarily bad. Apparently, it's just like you have to use the right methodology for the right project. So it's not bad, but I think tech has really adopted the agile space. So anyways, they they were talking about it at that meetup. So I was like, this. I, I was just consuming the information. I didn't know how to spit it out and, and make sense of it, or I didn't know how to deliver it in a way so that when I call up tech-based clients, they would trust me. Um, but going to those meetups and talking to people at those meetups was really helpful. And then I ended up going to a few tech TOs. That was incredible. And like just the energy in that room was like, yes, you can you can transition your career and you can transition your, your work into this space. Uh, you just have to continue kind of going to these things and showing up to these events and, and figuring it out. And how did you figure it out? Um, I kept calling, like I was doing sales calls, like Fastenal taught me to be relentless. I would call a customer like a hundred times over the course of six months to get their business for nuts and bolts. <laughs> like I really want that nut and bolt business. Uh, I'm going to hound you until you give me that opportunity. And uh, I did the same thing with tech companies and I ended up, uh, 500px was or 500 pixels was the first company that gave me an opportunity to work on one of their tech roles um, and it's all contingency they're not paying me up front I actually have to place somebody and I didn't know what DevOps was at the time and they were like we really need a DevOps person and it was a very startup-y kind of meeting where it was like they had like 10 minutes for us and I expected a full-blown hour and that was a ridiculous assumption that I made and we sat, like I said, we sat in this like classroom the office was gorgeous. And then like we had five minutes. She was like, yeah, we need a DevOps person. We've been looking for DevOps for a long time. Uh, can you do that? I'm like, yeah, whatever you need. And I was trying to do like a full blown like job description. Didn't get any of that. She's like, here's our posting. They send me the contract and we'll go from there. I'm like, okay, I have a lot more questions. So then I created this. I was trying to copy my mentor at the time or previously and he had this like really creative way of like writing job descriptions and telling a story mark kirpin's his name and he's got a uh, a recruiting firm called match and fable and he still does it he still has like a completely irrelevant almost relevant story tied to the job posting but he gives you like a quick history lesson and then he usually says like that has nothing to do with this role except we need so and so um so I tried to copy it and sort of like put my own spin on it. So DevOps, the way I understood it, was essentially somebody that made sure that the site never went down. And my job posting take on it, I created a creative title, which was a terrible idea at the time. And I called it the Site Explosion Prevention Officer Role. So I called it the SEPO. And I had this, and I was like, my, my website was pretty tight. I was using Squarespace at the time. And I had this picture of, like, a guy in, like, a bomb suit walking up to, like, this canister. And I was like, this is my marketing for this role. This is how I'm going to get. I didn't place the role. I didn't get any candidates. Nobody applied to the job. It was it was a terrible, ter epic, epic fail. Um, and I didn't end up pla placing that role, but I was getting closer to where I wanted to be. And then I ended up reaching out to Wrangle and sending their VP of people group at the time um an email as well as avery francis and uh i sent group a really long email and then i sent avery like a really short email and, and we laugh about it now but it was like 
it was it was like it was a cringeworthy message to both of them because it had nothing to do with actually recruiting. I think I sent the message at like 2 a.m. out of desperation. I'd had too much coffee that day and I was like, I'm going to get really creative and just like talk about the weirdest stuff. And they ended up reaching back out to me. and They're like, we're not going to use your services, but uh, you can we're hiring somebody and we'll train you to be a tech recruiter. I'm like, this is great. You know what? I'm not interested in recruiting for like an industry that's shrinking anymore. I want to, I want to work in tech. So let's do this. And that's how I got into tech. Gotcha. Do you remember, do you remember what you wrote in that short email to Avery? <sighs> so it was, I was playing off the idea that they probably worked closely together and I was hoping that she might be working beside him or like, go into work the next day and say, hey, did you get a weird message from Martin? Because I said to her, I'm like, hey, uh, da, 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 you, just a heads up, I sent Roop an email, you should check it out. Or you should ask him about it. And it was just really kind of, I I, I, I look back on it with cringe. There, there's nothing bad about it, it was just like, nah, it could have been worded differently. Uh, so that was her impression of me and the whole time she was like, no, I don't want to work with this guy. He's a weirdo. And then Rup was like, no, give him a shot. Like, look at the email he sent me. And I talked about like cookies, NASCAR, conspiracy theories, everything. It didn't make sense. Um, but I read his article on his, on his profile and I felt like that would resonate with him. And apparently it did. And and then when it came down to like actually doing the work, they had like a really comprehensive project that I like spent all weekend trying to make sure that I killed. So yeah, it worked out. It worked out. Yeah. yeah. And then since after that, you were able to continuously progress into the tech world and yeah. go through that recruiting route. Yeah. Um, and through throughout that journey, like we, I think it's kind of on an overall spectrum. Um, was it was it like a, was it smooth sailing once you got into tech or what kind of like bumps and bruises? Nothing do. smooth sailing, I don't think. And if it is smooth sailing, you're probably bored. And if you're okay with that, cool. But I'm not. Like, it's got to be bumpy. I have to. I have to be learning something. Um, if tech was new for me, so that was great. Um, working at Fastenal, like you planned your career moves very strategically. You're like, oh, this branch isn't really doing so well. I'm going to buddy up with this district manager. So if something happens to that manager, maybe I can get a shot at taking that branch over. Whereas like tech moves so quickly that you get bumped into roles that you don't necessarily, you aren't necessarily ready for. And you just have to learn how to do it. Otherwise, you're not going to be there for very long. So it was very, um, it was definitely my pace. It was definitely my pace that I prefer. So. And you, you know, you said there are, you will always have lots of bumps and bruises and lots of obstacles. Is there like a big one that pops to mind, that was just like this huge mountain, and you felt like, shit, how am I gonna climb this? And then, you eventually overcame it. Yeah, um, I think just learning how to. Like the biggest obstacle is, is is recruiting engineers and developers and people in the tech space, especially if you have no business doing that. So the first three to six to nine to nine months with Wrangle, working closely with Rup and Avery was was incredible because they were they were providing so much feedback and like it was like the every day I'd be like, this is what I'm going to send this person. What do you think? And that was like me stepping into the ring with like a heavyweight boxer and like me being like a flyweight and they're just them just demolishing me like don't say this don't say this you should say this also you don't know anything about this so go have coffee with this developer and learn more about that uh and it was just this constant like barrage of uh training but trial by fire and i, I would say like getting uh my feet wet in that space was probably the one of the bigger challenges that i've gone through yeah would you say there are, is there like a big kind of like mistake or like failure that comes to mind that kind of shaped how you change like opportunity sets or? Oh, one lesson I think I've learned over the last three years, I'm very much, I enjoy being a people pleaser, but I know that that is actually probably my biggest weakness at the moment. And I'm trying to change it. And I think 
being able to say, based on your intuition, based on actual data points, and coming back to someone more senior than you and saying, <clears throat> no, actually, this is, I believe X, and you believe Y, and I need to convince you that X is right, versus just taking Y at face value and saying, <clears throat> oh, yeah, you've got 10 more, sorry. <clears throat> you've got 10 more years of experience. I'm just going to trust what you say versus actually I've been doing what I do for quite some time. I'm, you should trust what I say as well. So there's as sort of as the student, I think the student mentality is like constantly taking what your teachers are saying at face value and accepting that. Um, and then forgetting to sort of act as, sort of an advisor in that shift. That's been the biggest lesson that I've been learning in the last, I'd say, three years, where now I can put myself in a position of, okay, this is actually how, um, this is actually like, no, that decision's wrong and getting comfortable with um, disagreeing with people on, on their mentality or whatever it is that they're doing in order to actually have the best outcome for the business. And yeah, I remember how I think a very memorable thing for me was when we met, um, you were telling me how because of my age, I would get a lot of, it won't be that easy just mm -hmm. because um, it's going to be hard to get people to con convince people who have grayer hair that I know what I'm talking about. And you said from, like, from your experience, it's been the case. Mm -hmm. And so like, how frequent has that been? Like, you're, you're definitely, you know, a young guy too. So yeah. Um, that's, that's the, been the challenge that I've seen, um, is that I was always the youngest person at the table. So if I would come forward with an idea, it's like, cool story, bro. But there's 10 other people in this room with, you know, double the amount of experience. Maybe we're not going to listen to, to, to that advice. Um, and that's a tough mountain to climb. That's a tough conversation to have. It's almost like I feel like it's and I'm not proposing that I'm, I'm right all the time, but in the event where I have a good idea and it's sort of like everybody knows and has that good idea. Everybody has that gut instinct to say, like, we are doing things the wrong way and we need to change. Um, and it's just being able to listen to that voice and then being able to advocate for that voice inside your head with whomever you're talking with almost like a marketing campaign in the sense that like you almost have to see something like seven times before you truly remember it from a marketing perspective. I feel like that's sort of the same thing. You have to constantly, like I have this habit of like saying things once <laughs> and assuming people get it and assuming the message has been heard. And there's so much stuff going on in a startup that just because you've let someone know something once doesn't mean that, that it's it's resonated with them it doesn't mean that they're going to remember it tomorrow and and really basically if you have a strategy if you have a plan if you have an idea that needs to get executed on you need to campaign you need to have your own personal marketing campaign if that's you know sending out a slack message then following up with an email the next day later and then following up with uh you know an announcement at your next company stand up and just constantly pitching that message versus like, Hey, this is what I stand for. This is how we're going to operate. And then sort of letting it, letting it, it needs to be a constant reminder almost hmm. an alarm clock, so to speak. Yeah. And that's, what's been helpful for me. And that's what I've started doing. So. And do you, have you found that your unorthodox background of being, you know, not finishing high school mm. and being an industrials, um, has kind of hit you with like negative stereotypes. Have you ever experienced it? I come with a lot of privilege on top of that. So I can't, I, like I'm a straight white guy. So there's a ton of privilege that comes with that. So I haven't seen a lot of those barriers because of, of being a dropout. Um, and I don't necessarily announce it. You know, I don't walk into a room and say, actually, I'm a, I used to. I was like, let me get this off the table because I'm really nervous about you asking. And now to the point for me, it, it's become irrelevant based on experience. So it was terrifying when I first 
started looking for jobs because I knew it would be a question that they asked because the, the time, the amount of time it takes to get to my education was much shorter on the resume. Um, but now it's, it doesn't, I've, I've gotten over that as a concern. Yeah. yeah. And there's not a lot of stigma. I, I think people make assumptions, but they're never going to speak them. If that makes sense. They're, they're just going to categorize you. And if they have biases against that, maybe they're not going to give you opportunities, but it's, it's, it's not a blatant thing. It's going to be something that you'll never directly hear about. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And um, give, have you found kind of that you see talent recruiting and that kind of just people up in general in a different light just because you've had a, a non-traditional like HR background? Because I was considered like traditional HR mm. people, they did human resource management in school and then they graduate, they go into recruiting and go all the way that way. But you were in small businesses, you mm-hmm. were in a different industry. Um, do you feel that you see things in a different lens? Well, I have a huge bias towards people that have a non-traditional path in a, in a good way. I, not in a good way, but I'm biased in favor of people that have non-traditional paths because there's a relevancy bias or like a similarity bias there in the sense that when I talk to somebody, they've gone through a similar path or they're choosing a different approach. Um, kind of what you and I have talked about. You're like, I, there's nothing really that I've been overly excited about from like a job title perspective. I want to create my own thing. Like there's, there's a similar, like I, that resonates with me in the same sense that if somebody graduates from Waterloo and then uh, an interviewee comes in and they're like, Oh, I graduated from Waterloo as well. They're just going to hit it off and talk about the campus and talk about the cafeterias that they went to and whatever it is that there's a, there's a, people are seeking an easy way to connect with strangers and that's sort of the easiest way. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a similarity or there's a similarity bias that hits me and I'm always fascinated by that. I love the underdog story. I think just in general, society uh, appreciates the underdog story as well to see like, oh, this person had all the odds against them and they still succeeded anyways, as opposed to like, oh, great, good job. Person that is completely set up to succeed, succeeded. Great. There's nothing exciting about that. There's no... There's no, nothing mentally captivating about somebody that's totally set up to succeed, fully expected to. There's no surprise there. It's not unique, right? So I think people are biased towards that, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I trailed off there for a second. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> but I find that when you trail off, you sometimes say like things that actually do resonate truly yeah. with you. So no, it's good. Cool. Uh, and you know, your, your job is someone, you know, it's all about finding the right people mm-hmm. for the right company, for the right role. Um, and I'm sure you do a lot of mentoring and like kind of career advising as you interview people as well. And for you personally, what like what motivates you to do what you do right now? And how was there like a realization, like a moment of realization where you felt that I think recruiting is the path that yeah gets is fit for me. This is what I want to do. I think within the first few months of recruiting, I was like, this is the most fun I've had at a job ever because I, I liked cold calling. I liked the idea. I sort of, there was a gamified aspect to it. And in the industry I was in, it was more about picking up the phone and calling people directly as opposed to sending them a LinkedIn message or sending them like an email. Um, So as far as, I forgot the question, sorry. Oh, I was going to, um, so it's kind of a two-part question. One was, what motivates you right now to like do this role as a recruiter? And yeah. kind of tying into that was, um, I guess, like the realization of how you knew this was going to be like this kind of passion area, this job or role that you were going to do, pursue more forward. Okay, so when I was in the industrial space, I became the guy that knew how to find the unfindable part. And I always found that really fun. So like we had this giant catalog, it was like a phone book. There's like a million different SKUs and customers would call up and be like, oh, can I get this? And there'd be a part number for it. And you'd put it into the machine, you put it in the computer and you'd order it and it would come and whatever. But then 
like once a week, every month, you'd get a customer that says like, you can get my business. Like I have all these, like, I don't want to order all that stuff that's readily available from you. I haven't been able to find this widget. If you find me this widget, I will give you all my business. That was the most exciting part um, because I would be like, cool, I'm going to come. I'm going to be there tomorrow morning. I'm going to take a look at this weird widget. I'm going to find out how we can get this. And if I can get this for you, will you give me your business? They're like, yeah, sure. We'll talk about it. It wasn't like, yes, you're going to get the business. It's like, we'll, we'll give you a shot. So that uh, was the most fun. When I found out that, um, this is going to sound terrible, but like when I found out in recruiting, that reminded me a lot of the, the same thing. It's like, I really need to find this DevOps person, or I really need to find this technical adhesive specialist to do this. And there's only six of them in the country, and you need to convince one of them that our company is awesome. That was really fascinating to me. So it was just sort of like, I enjoyed, like, it was a puzzle. I've always enjoyed puzzles and, and solving, like, how do I, how do I help people? And, and in recruiting on top of that, not only do you get the opportunity to actually help people get jobs, but you also like engage with more people that don't end up getting the jobs that you're trying to pitch. So you've got this opportunity to help. How can you leave something with those individuals to say like, hey, you didn't end up getting the job. It's great to know you. Maybe we'll talk in six months or a year or three years. But as an FYI, here's some feedback from the interviews. This is what you need to work on for your next thing. And it was always really awkward. But until I found like when I did it a few times, I realized people came back to me like years later and be like, you know what? That really helped. And that was sort of the excuse me. I, I didn't have that with widgets. People weren't saying like, hey, remember that time you found that like really weird widget that really that really saved like, yes, it was helpful. Yes, it saved them money. Yes, it, you know. But it didn't impact them on a level that like helping another person did. Uh, and I found that really rewarding. Mm. So that's when it sort of hit. When I, when, I, when I pieced those two things together, that's when it sort of triggered. And I was like, okay, this is fun. I can impact people's lives. Mm. And um, then in terms of like, what you do, what kind of activity then would you say gives you the kind of state of flow, like total engagement, immersion? Is there like a particular activity that you can just name off and go yeah when i do this this is like my all-time favorite thing to do at what's my all-time favorite having a good conversation with someone having coffees with people and learning about their lives and it, it, this is weird for me this whole experience of like the last hour or so has been really weird for me because usually is the other way around and i'm all, i feel like very bad because i haven't asked you any questions and i know that's not necessarily the purpose of the, the podcast but like um learning about somebody's story. Um, and it's not a state of flow, but like every once in a while you meet somebody, you interact with them, and then six months later, you'll be, you'll, somebody will reach out to you and be like, hey, do you, know, so, do you know anybody that does X, Y, and Z? I love the idea of being the guy that's got a guy or being the person that has a person to say, I, I've got somebody for that. Uh, that being resourceful and I forget there's there's a movie I tried to find it where like there's like a cliche stereotypical version of that prototype person where it's like this is the person if you need this go to Jimmy or something like that I, I always that that always interested me so like the guy that always has a guy for something yeah, yeah I got a guy yeah yeah so. uh, yeah um, no I, I think I like you, I, I love having conversations with people. And so mm. for me, this is how. <laughs> it's a good start to the morning. Yeah, right? I get it. Yeah. Um, and so as we kind of hit up on like the final rounds of the interview, um, I just had like a series of kind of end sure. of questions I yeah. wanted to ask you. So as part of your Twitter profile, you also say that you're an <laughs> aspiring eccentric billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> I changed that from millionaire to billionaire like a week ago. Oh, yeah, it's good. I was well, like, I'm really limiting myself yeah, here. I don't know, want to put the ceiling. James Cameron says <laughs> if you reach for what the the stars, just the heavens, you reach the moon or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so given that kind of mm. aspiration, um, what do you envision yourself kind of doing in 10 years? What would you ideally like to be doing in 10 years? I don't really know if I'm going to bet on myself. I feel like I'm leading towards teaching, 
or or VC. Like the VC space is really fascinating to me. I remember watching something ventured on Netflix. This is an incredible documentary about you know San Francisco original venture capital days and how that all became and how sort of the the wizard of Oz behind the curtains pulling the strings for companies that we all know and how how an injection of capital helped those businesses and an injection of advice and, and mentorship helped those. So mentorship's always been so if if I'm connecting the dots, I'm mentoring people or teaching people something uh, and, and teaching people how to do things more efficiently and better. Um, it involves people, it involves, you know, new technologies and that's where I'm going to be. I know that's where I'm going to be. Um, what I'm going to be doing, I'm not too sure. I've, I get kind of distracted with my, my interests, but I want to have my hands in everything almost. I want to be doing marketing. I want to be doing sales. I want to be doing recruiting. I want to be doing whatever the case might be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and um, I remember reading a post you posted up about Cupid investors. There's, there are <laughs> angel investors. And yeah. We have Cupid yeah. investors. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I've been trying to get more involved in the angel investing game myself. And sometimes I think, is there a way I can get even less money? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, like, I don't have a ton of cash to throw around at, at companies uh, yet. Uh, I'm not that. So, but I still see companies that are like, if I had a ton of cash just floating around, I would totally bet on this company if I could. Um, and there's, you know, there's 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 ways to do that now which is interesting so mm-hmm. yeah slowly slowly um so we looked at kind of potentially forecasting 10 years mm. what about looking back now so if try to imagine yourself when you were 20 years old mm-hmm. so for most people this is in like third year university but for you that's selling widgets yeah yeah so at that time what kind of advice do you wish you had gotten kind of advice I feel like I like the way things have turned out so far so it's almost like I don't wish anything was different on a personal level I think it would have been good for me to uh not so much on the professional side, but on the personal side, I think it would have been good uh, if I had a bit more balance in my life. So I was, maybe that is a professional thing, but like I've always been like 90% business or professional life and then like 10% personal life. And I didn't really have a good balance. I remember it took me a while to figure out and an interview uh, with Fastenal's biggest competitor, Acklin Granger. I got to the final stage. We did this really weird, like, TV interview on, like, one of those big, like, TVs. It's not the flat screens. It's, like, the big clunky ones. Like, if it fell on you, you'd probably, like, break something. It has a light bulb in, like, the back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was talking to somebody in Vancouver, and it was, like, the vice president. And at the very end of the interview, like, I I crushed it. I did fantastic on the interview. I'm like, cool. I'm going to leave, you know, big blue fasten all and go to big red Acklin's Granger and he asked me so what do you do for fun I didn't have an answer to that so I think looking back I would say figure out what you can do for fun have a balance to your life don't go don't go all business there's more to what you do between there's more to to life than your nine to five uh, and that I didn't end up getting the job because I was like uh uh I'm in a band and he's like, oh yeah, what do you play? And I just, I, I started fibbing at that point because I was so panicked. Uh, I was like, oh, I play the guitar. I'd never done any shows. I was just like hanging out with my buddies, like uh, parents' basement and we were playing like just stupid songs that we'd made up and we'd never done any shows. So I kind of exaggerated that a bit and I think he, he picked up on it and I didn't end up getting a call back. So like, that experience in itself was like, no, you need to have hobbies. You can't be. It was like, all I do is work. You're, I'm the best employee ever. And they didn't have any balance to me. And I think that was why they kind of passed on me at that time. Mm-hmm. And from then on, it was like, okay, always have a hobby. Always have something you're passionate about. Make make room for kind of going full circle. Like, make room for creativity. Because I was always a creative kid. 
Uh, but I always lean towards like the business side of things and make room for the space that like I'm actually half decent at like photography. I'm half decent at writing and kind of exploring that side of my personality as well. Yeah, like cultivating the empty space yeah. in your life. Yeah, fair play. Don't fill it all with one thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like I, I feel that all the time when I'm at the gym, like when I'm training like four times a week, like when I'm, it's weird. Like I'll just be at the gym and I'll have all these business ideas that pop up. Mm. And then, so I always have like, a notebook or like my Evernote beside me yeah. and I'm just massively typing while I'm <laughs> at like the squat rack and yeah. people probably think like what's this guy doing but like that's when inspiration hits like yeah. randomly um, okay Google what if we can make it to Mars in five years <laughs> and just like what <laughs> and so if if that 20 year old were to see you now yeah and what you're doing right now at Coin Square, what do you think the reaction from that 20 year old Marn would be I think it would be a slow clap I, I'm yeah <laughs> and probably like scratching my head a little bit as well sort of like what the hell is going on with the world cryptocurrency fake internet money <laughs> it's true the law has changed since yeah. that time yeah um yeah no I, thanks a lot for coming on the uh interview martin this has been a lot of fun yeah i know and um, enjoyed it could, i'll give you a chance to kind of you know advertise or not advertise, but informationally provide um, information to our guests on how they could get involved with CoinSquare. Like, mainly, I guess it would be like retail investors, like they're more younger yeah. Canadian millennials. So, for sure, take it away. Uh, yeah. So, the easiest way is to head to coinsquare.com, uh, create an account. If you want a referral code, there's one on my LinkedIn page. You can, that'll get you uh, a little. Uh, extra Bitcoin in your account when you fund it after $100 worth of funding um, and get started. And if you have any questions, just just ping me or, or find us on our, our help page or support tickets. Great. And yeah, just um, this is not an investing podcast. This is no. purely for informational <laughs> purposes. Yeah. Not investment advice. Yeah, just not investment advice. Getting the disclaimers out there. Yeah. All right. Cool. Awesome. Hey, thanks for coming on, Martin. Yeah, no, it was a blast. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please check out other episodes and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date for the future episodes. Also, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, Google Play or Stitcher, whichever is applicable to you. To see past episodes, you can go to oldmandan.com slash podcast. Also, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter on my blog, oldmandan.com slash newsletter. You can stay up to date with future podcast episodes that way and included in the newsletter are my book reviews I write, my weekly article in the related to the domain of self-development systems, as well as seven things I learned throughout the week on being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Finally, special thanks to icons8.com for allowing me to use their music, Tiny People, on the podcast. Great. I will see you all next time. Take care.